want to turn there to Romans 1. We're going to be going there in a couple moments. You know, this is um, on a part of a sermon series which I've been preaching on scriptures which I've been convicted to pray. Scriptures which I've been convicted to pray for myself and my children and my descendants. And so last Sunday we began a two-part message on evangelism. Pray that you and your children are evangelists. Pray that you are evangelists. And I'm going to finish that that idea today. It's, it's very interesting, though, because at the end of last Sunday's sermon, I challenge you to write a letter, a letter to a family member or someone in your sphere of influence sharing the gospel with them. Now, everybody has a sphere of influence. Your sphere of influence would be if you put yourself in, draw a dot, that's you, put a big circle around you, and put your coworkers, your colleagues, your neighbors, your family members, all those that you, that you come into contact with and that you know, those are your sphere of influence. At the end of the sermon last Sunday, I challenge you to write a letter sharing the gospel with somebody from your sphere of influence. And and hopefully you're working on that. Hopefully you're taking that very seriously. Uh, Monday or Tuesday last week, I noticed a Washington Post article which cited a letter which was found in Nancy Reagan's possessions. And it was a letter that President Ro- Ronald Reagan wrote in 1982 to his father-in-law who was dying, urging his father-in-law who was an atheist to receive Christ. It was interesting looking back on that letter, a handwritten letter which they have pictures of, which he wrote, taking seriously, and I'm not trying to make any political statements about Reagan's presidency, I'm just emphasizing that he took the time to write a letter to his dying father-in-law, urging his father-in-law to receive Christ. The issue many times in churches is not evangelism training, though I'm for it, A lot of times in churches, it's evangelism passion. Do we care? Have we been transformed by the blood of Jesus? Does the gospel mean anything to us? Because when it does, it bubbles up inside and it overflows. And we just automatically share. I have a little illustration which a mentor of mine, Pastor Rick Sams, wrote in the Alliance Review a few years ago. It's called The Tree Trunk That Trumpeted Life and Trumped Death by Pastor Rick Sams. The most, he writes, the most popular tourist attraction in Herefordshire County, England, is a graveyard. People come from all over the world to see a grave of a woman buried over 200 years ago. Lady Anne Grimston was a proud, wealthy, and obstinate woman who lived for this life alone. Toward the end, friends tried to encourage her to think about what comes after we breathe our last. She would not. She believed there was nothing beyond. She said, it is as unlikely that I shall continue to live as that a tree will grow out of my body. She went as far, so far as to make a challenge to heaven, saying, if indeed there is life hereafter... Trees will render asunder my tomb. Lady Anne Grimston died, was buried and forgotten, but not quite. After many years, a thick marble slab over her grave was found ajar. The builders put it back and forgot her again. But once more, the marble slab tilted to one side, and in the middle was a crack. 
with a tiny bunch of leaves bursting through. The crack was sealed with cement, and the slab returned to its original spot. A few years later, the marble was again lifted up. The crack opened wider than before, and the trunk of a tree emerged from the opening. There it is. Workmen repaired the increasingly crumbling tomb and installed iron rails and rods to hold everything together. But the young tree would not be tied down. It kept making its way, breaking the masonry, destroying the walls of the tomb, and tearing the heavy iron railings out of the ground. Today, growing right from the heart of Lady Anne Grimston's grave in St. Peter's Churchyard, is one of the largest trees in England. Because of that tree, the site is a mass of twisted metal and crushed marble. For over 200 years, an old tree trunk has, trumped, has trumpeted, life trumps death. Jesus said, whoever believes in me will have eternal life. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. But these are written that you may, John writes, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. And this life is not, and this life is a testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life. That's from John chapter 3, verse 16, John chapter 5, verse 21, John chapter 20, verse 31, and 1 John 5, 11 through 13. But there's that lady, Ann Grimston, you know, makes a challenge to heaven, and look where it got her. But the reality is, we need Jesus for eternal life. There is life. There is eternal life. And I hope that we all desire, I hope we desire that our neighbors, our friends, and family know Jesus. And I hope that desire bubbles up within us so that we are praying for those that don't know Christ. You know, I said last week, pray that you have an evangelism mindset, a gospel mindset. That means that it's always on your heart, it's always in your mind that people need Jesus. It's always in, on your heart, it's always on your mind, it's always on your prayer life that people need the gospel. I hope that matters to us. And I hope that means something for prayer. It has been said that nobody accepts Jesus as Lord and Savior except by somebody praying for them. Today my theme is pray that we and our children are evangelists. And this is part two. And we're going to look at Romans 1, 16 to 17 and then 15, 20. In 2 Timothy 2.10. I want us to look at Paul's passion for the gospel and pray that we have the same passion. If you're not there, please turn to Romans 1.16-17. It's on the screen, but I encourage you to look at it in your Bible as well. Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. This is the beginning of the letter of Romans. And actually it's probably, I would dare say, Paul's thesis statement for Romans. Because Romans is Paul's great treatise on soteriology. You can use that word later and encourage somebody by a definition, a word they don't use often. 
soteriology, the theology of salvation. Romans is Paul writing about the theology of salvation, the study of salvation. And this is his thesis. He is not ashamed of the gospel. In fact, in Romans, it seems like Paul was preparing that church because he wanted to use the church at Rome as a staging point to take the gospel to Spain. Is that cool? Here's this guy from Tarsus in the Middle East taking the gospel to Spain in the first century because he cared, because he truly was not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Let's not be ashamed of the gospel. This is a challenge to you and challenge to all of us. And I would, I would encourage you, pray this passage. Pray the word of God back to God. Pray these passages. Not because I recommend them. Pray this passage because it's the Bible. It, it, it obviously is pretty powerful. Pray that you live this passage. Pray that you and your children, your descendants, are not ashamed of the gospel. Pray that God gives you that same passion for the gospel that the Apostle Paul had. And I think it's critical for us today, and I'm getting ahead of myself now, but that's okay. I have all afternoon. And um, the Browns play Thursday night. The Steelers are playing tomorrow night. Uh, we're okay. And... Um, I think it's critical for us today because we're in a world around us that is a number one mission field for other countries. I shared that last week. I'll share it again. They're sending their missionaries over here. We have a United States of America that has gone totally secular. And what means more to... For many of us, the gospel is not the most important thing in our life. And that's something that needs to give us a heart check. Let's get to this. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Notice Paul's words. He is not ashamed of the gospel. And why is he not ashamed? He is not ashamed of the gospel because it says, for it is the power of God for salvation. It is the power of God for salvation. How many of you want to see the power of God? Raise hands. We're a hand-raising church right now. Good. Put your hands down. The gospel is the power of God. If you want to see the power of God, live for the gospel. Be about the Lord's business. Take the gospel seriously in your own life and in sharing the gospel with others. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. You want to make angels rejoice in heaven? Share the gospel with somebody. Angels in heaven rejoice in heaven. Angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. And honestly, I think that most of us don't care. The biggest area that we probably need to repent in the church across America is the sin of the lack of evangelism and the lack of passion for the gospel. He is not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. There's nothing else that gives the power of God for salvation. There's no salvation in any other way. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, There's no salvation in any other name but by the name of Jesus. Now, just think about that. The only one who can give us salvation is the Lord. Salvation for the salvation we need comes from the power of God. In this gospel of Jesus Christ, we have the power of God for salvation. There is no salvation in money. There is no salvation in possessions. There is no salvation in work. These aren't bad things. God told us to work before sin. 
We have to make money to pay the bills, but they're not salvation. There's no salvation in knowledge, and I love knowledge. There's no salvation in the NFL, and I like sports, but it's not salvation. The NFL said a few years ago that they own Sundays. They might say that, but there's no salvation in the NFL. There's no salvation in sports, and I like sports, but again, what matters most is that salvation is in the gospel, which is the power of God. There's no salvation in fashion. Nothing wrong with fashion. It's not my thing, but there's no salvation in, in fashion. There's no salvation in decorating. There's no salvation in American patriotism. And I love the United States, and we need to be good patriots and good citizens, but that's not our salvation. There's no salvation in food, and I love food. Give me some cookies later. I love them. I love chocolate. I love ice cream. That's been said. <laughs> Pumpkin pie, Dairy Queen, handles, all good stuff, but it's not salvation. There's no salvation in good works. Good works don't make us saved. If we could be saved by good works, the cross was pointless. If we could be saved by any of these things, the cross would not have been needed. It would just be Play good football games, you're saved by that. Make a lot of money, you're saved by that. Be a good decorator, you're saved by that. Be good with fashion, you're saved by that. Be good with possessions, be, good, be a good patriot. Do good works. No, there's no salvation in any other way except by Jesus Christ. That's why he came to earth, that's why he lived for 33 years, that's why he went to the cross for our sins, that's why he rose again, that's why the whole New Testament is about the spread of the gospel, because it's so critical. Paul is not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Salvation through Jesus is open to all, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. This is Paul's way of saying salvation is free of charge to everyone. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Greek nor Jew, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. Salvation is free and open to all. And let me tell you, you study anything about the Pharisees, you study anything about the Jewish people, this probably took a lot for the Apostle Paul to say. He was Jewish at its core, but he was reaching out to the Gentiles because God had given him that call, God had given him that passion, God had given him that mission. And I pray and I hope God gives us a little bit of that passion and that mission to reach our area today. We need to reach them. Verse 17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. God's righteousness is revealed from faith. Let's take a few applications. We must also be eager to preach and proclaim the gospel. It's a command of the Lord. I made that clear last week. We must not be ashamed of the gospel anywhere. Don't be mean. Don't be aggressive. That's not what I'm saying. Don't be inappropriate. Don't be rude. But don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed at work. Don't be ashamed with family. Don't be ashamed with friends. Don't be ashamed in your neighborhood. Don't be ashamed at school. Don't be ashamed on social media if you use those sort of things. Don't be ashamed anywhere. We and also, don't be ashamed at church. 
Surprisingly, there's a lot of people ashamed of the gospel even at their church. We must have a gospel mindset, praying and thinking of opportunities to share. We must recognize that the gospel represents the power of God. And we must respond with worship. I want to talk about the unchurched for a few moments, though. Romans 15.20 and the unchurched. If you have your Bible, you can flip over to Romans 15.20. Romans 15.20, we get another snippet of Paul's passion for the gospel. So please turn over to Romans 15.20. Paul says, and thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. Paul wanted, once again, I'm saying this again, to use Rome as a staging point to launch the gospel to Spain. And he wanted to take the gospel to those who had never heard. He, you know, right here he says, I don't, he does not want to build on another man's foundation. He wants to take the gospel to new territory. And In a minute, I'm going to make the case that we have a lot of new areas to take the gospel right here in the United States. We have a lot of people in the United States where we have become so secular, sharing the gospel with them is almost as if we're sharing the gospel with an unreached people group. You know, I don't like to blame the world. Well, back up. A lot of times we use the word unchurched to describe people who have not attended church in five years or more. And across the United States, there's a lot of people, young and old, who have not been to church for five years or more. And we are willfully ignorant of their culture. Don't become like them, but be a missionary. Think like a missionary. We need to think like missionaries. Because we're all called to missions. We're all called to share the gospel with our sphere of influence. And if you said you were called to be a missionary and in Nigeria, you would have to study the language. You would have to study the culture. You would have to study the people group. And you would have to study the Bible, of course. And you would go over there understanding how to best communicate the gospel. And we need to think that way in our country today as well. We need to think like missionaries. We need to study culture so that we can communicate the gospel with the culture. So we can build bridges to them with the gospel. And listen, I don't like to blame the word for being sinners. Because that is who we are with, that's who, we're, that is who we become without Christ. Without, the Christ. without Christ in our life, we will live for sin. That's what the devil will make us do. That's what our sin nature will make us do. If you do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior, you will sin and live for it. Now certainly, some things you will find um, good reasons not to sin. Because you can make more money, or whatever it may be, or you notice value in family. I'm not saying that everybody without Christ is a terrible, terrible person. But if the world does not know Jesus, they're going to sin, live in sin, and want to condone sin. They will want to condone sin because they do not know Jesus. Their eyes have not been opened. Their eyes are blinded by the devil and by the God of this age. That's what the Bible says. The church is to evangelize the world and change the world. But far too often, the world is becoming, uh, far too often, the church becomes like the world. And that's not good. And also, most persecution in America happens within the church. Because, again, I don't blame the world for wanting to condone sin. That's who they are without Christ. But I will blame the church for wanting to become like the world and condoning sin. And we've all seen that. 
The church needs to maintain itself being very pure, being committed to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ while we go out to reach the world with the gospel. The world needs Jesus. Do we believe that? Do we believe that the world needs Jesus? Because you seem a little less committed than you are to the football game when you get all excited and raise your voices and yell and clap. The world needs Jesus. And we are called to share Jesus with the world. He wants to use you and he wants to use a me. And we have to hold each other accountable to share the gospel with this area. And we will be accountable to God when we fail to do that. Do we understand that? I don't want to be mean. I don't want to be aggressive. But I have to share God's truth to you. The world needs Jesus. And too often we're blaming the sins. We're picking it apart saying, why are they looking at that pornography? Why are they stealing? Why are they cheating? Why are they being immoral? They're doing all that because they don't know Jesus. If they knew Jesus, their eyes would be opened and they would know better. They need the gospel. They need to know Jesus. And all they hear oftentimes, is that we pick apart everything else rather than communicate the gospel to them. We need to start with the gospel and let Jesus share their li- change their life. I once uh, heard a story from my World War II veteran great uncle. He shared a joke. A priest was at a member's house to share about the hereafter. The hereafter, eternity. And the member was up in her upstairs, and so as he waited on her, he saw some nuts. And so he started eating the nuts. And after he finished eating the nuts, she came down, and he said, I hope you don't mind, I have some of your nuts. And uh, she said, that's okay, I already ate the chocolate off of them. (laughs) Now, the point of the story is that he valued eternity so much that he was there to talk to her about eternity. Do we care about eternity? Do we want to talk about eternity? I hope we do. Values have changed, and they have changed because the foundation for those values was Jesus, but not anymore. They don't know Jesus. A study showed that millennials, which are those born after 1981 or so, no longer view premarital sex or sex outside of marriage as sin. But where do they get that? I had an issue in a church where the choir director thought it was okay because he was over 60 years old to move in with his girlfriend. And when he was approached about it, he said, well, you know, it's a sin when you're 20 years old, but not at my age. Where do they get that? Where do we get that? If we want to know where things are headed, look at Europe. In Europe, parents can go to jail for spanking their children. There's a real case where uh, they took the children away from the parents because the parents had spanked their children. There was no evidence of abuse. There was just spanking, and they took the children away. Yet, the issue is the people need Jesus. I was listening to a representative of Voice of the Martyrs. Voice of the Martyrs does a lot for the persecuted church. And Voice of the Martyrs was... Um, interviewing somebody who had been shot. He was asked to deny his faith, and this man, this Muslim extremist with a military-style weapon right in his face asked him to deny Jesus. His wife is right there in front of him, and he did not deny Jesus. And the man pulled the trigger and blew his face off. But the man lived. And the man was talking to one of the Voice of the Martyrs representatives. He's talking, missing half of his face. And you know what he said? He said if he could see that man again, he would forgive him. He said he would forgive him because the man doesn't know Jesus. 
His eyes are blinded. The God of this age has blinded him. The root need is that we need to know Jesus, and they need to know Jesus in the world. We need to share the gospel. As I said last week, politics won't change America. The gospel is the only thing that changes the heart. The gospel is the only thing that changes a life. The gospel is the only thing that changes a church. The gospel is the only thing that changes the world. People need Jesus. I hope I made that clear. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Don. So back to the passage, Paul is saying in this passage that he does not want to build upon someone else's foundation. Paul had experienced people messing up his foundation. Paul planted the church in Corinth. If you look at 2 Corinthians, Paul planted the church in Corinth, and these, these false apostles had come and messed up his foundation. So now Paul wants to, to, to go and plant on fresh soil. And if you look at 1 Corinthians 9.19, Paul says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. He has made himself a slave to all to win more with the gospel. 2 Timothy 2.10 For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. I endure all things for those who are chosen. That's, that's, that's sharing the gospel with others. That's, that's the to be Christians, so that they may obtain the salvation which is in Jesus Christ. Dr. Tim Tennant, president of Asbury Theological Seminary, shared a few years that 7%, just 7% of the millennials, that's uh, those born after 1981, uh, know Christ. Just 7% of the millennials are Christians. Another study showed 15%. Dr. Tom Crawford said uh, it's going to 4%. 4%. Now, Tim Tennant said, when you get below 5%, when you get below 5% of a cultural group knowing Christ as Savior, you're considered an unreached people group. In mission standards, if you see a people group where there's less than 5% who are Christians, you're considering them, you consider them an unreached people group. They have not been reached with the gospel. Like I said, we have fertile soil to share the gospel right here in the United States of America. People need the gospel. So the highest number I've heard for millennials is 15%. So I have 15 popcorn, 15 popcorn, uh, popcorn popped kernels here. <laughs> They're popped. 15. This is the church. These are the Christian millennials. Now, it's not really the church because there's Christian baby boomers and so on. But for the sake of this illustration, these are Christian millennials. These are all the people that need to be reached with the gospel. 85, 15, 85. Now, we could cross those studies all the way across, baby boomers and busters and all generations. All generations need the gospel. We need to reach them with the gospel. We have a mission. We have a mission field. We need to take it seriously. We will all end up in graves eventually. I was jogging with Mercedes a few years ago. We're jogging by a graveyard. I'm pushing her, she says. She's asking about the grave. She's asking about tombs. And she said, I asked about graves. And she said, but I go to, I, I know Jesus, so I go straight to heaven, right? And I said, yeah, if you know Jesus, you go to heaven. And she said, you're a pastor, so you really go straight to heaven. And... Uh, <laughs> I said, I have no special privileges. We all need to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And let me make this final charge. You are on the front lines of the gospel ministry. Wherever you work, wherever you live, wherever you socialize, whoever your family is, you are on the front lines. Many times we think that pastors and missionaries are the only ones on the front lines. It's not true at all. 
In Acts chapter 8, Stephen had been stoned and the Christians flee. In Acts chapter 8, 1, they flee. They all scattered. But as they scattered, they were contagious Christians and they were infecting people with the gospel. Later, the church in Antioch forms and it grows. But get this. We don't know who planted the church in Antioch. We don't know who started it. It was not Paul. It was not an apostle. It was the lay people. Most of the churches in history were started by lay people. That church in Antioch became a major sending church. They sent missionaries out. And it was started by lay people. You are all on the front lines of gospel ministry. Francis Chan and David Platt were in a video and they were talking about the gospel. They talked about how we say we love our neighbor or family member, yet we don't share the gospel with them. Francis Chan said, maybe you don't love them as much as you think you do. Those words really sting. You say you love them, but you don't share the gospel with them. Maybe you don't love them as much as you think you do. I'm going to pray. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus, I just pray that we will love everyone. We're called to love you with our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbors ourself. And as we love people, we're called to share the gospel with them. Lord God, help us to heed this charge. Help us to follow your word in sharing the gospel with our friends, family members, and loved ones. Help us to take it seriously. And Lord God, if there's someone here who does not know the gospel, may today be the day of salvation. May today be the day where they confess they're a sinner in need of a Savior. They believe in you, Jesus, as the only Savior. They commit their life to you and trust in you. For Jesus, we know that God created us to be with him. But our sins, they separate us from God. We know that sins cannot be removed by good works. So paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. And everyone who trusts in you, Jesus alone, will inherit eternal life. And life that's eternal means being with Jesus forever. Lord, may we love the word of God. May we love the gospel. May we surrender to the gospel and the word of God. May we live out these scriptures. May we have a passion for the gospel like the Apostle Paul. And first and foremost, Lord, Jesus, affect every part of our life. That the gospel has that type of depth and rooting and grounding and meaning in our life. That we just cannot help but share the gospel because you've changed our life. In Jesus' name I pray this, amen.